Good morning, everyone. My name is Mike, and I am an alcoholic. Before we begin, let's have a moment of quiet time to invite the God of our own understanding into our hearts and ask him for an open mind and the willingness to have a new experience, followed by the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer. God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things we can, and wisdom to know the difference. Uh, welcome everyone to the third session of the Wednesday morning West Orange Beginners Classes. Uh, like to, uh, we have a new face this morning. Tony, right? Yes. Welcome. And, uh, it's good to be here this morning. I know, uh, I've been under the weather for the past couple of days and, uh, I see maybe one or two other people have been as well. The, uh, fall weather change gets me every time. <laughs> So if we could, let's uh, just kind of jump into the third week here. And during the past two weeks, we've covered uh, directions in the big book for taking the first five steps of the program of recovery. Uh, last week, as a group, we began our four steps together, and we briefly covered directions for sharing our inventories with our sponsors and the God of our own understanding in step five. Can I have a show of hands of the people that have completed their four steps and have done their fifth step with their sponsor or spiritual advisor during the past week. Great. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I know you're halfway there. On it, so. Good. Good. Well, congratulations. Uh, let's read in the big book what are called the promises of step five on page 75. If we've taken our fourth and fifth step, as the big book has instructed us to do, then we will have received these results on page 75 during the second paragraph. Okay. It says, we pocket our pride and go through it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the path. Here come the promises now. Once we have taken this step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. For the people that have completed their fourth and fifth step, are we delighted? Exuberated. Exuberated. Oh, that's another one. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our Creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we're on the broad highway, walking hand-in-hand hand with the spirit of the universe. What a great set of promises. But we can't stop here. We must go further and take more action. Hopefully at the end of your fifth step, your sponsor directed you to the last paragraph of page 75. The book tells us uh, we get to take a rest for one hour, one whole hour between steps five and six. These are the questions we should have reviewed after our fifth step. If you are not directed to do so after step five, then we'll take a few moments to do so now. On page 75 on the third paragraph, the book says, Returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. Taking this book, down from our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12th step. Carefully 
reading the first five proposals, we ask if we have omitted anything, for we are building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. So when we uh, take a look at these review questions after returning home after a fifth step, we turn to page 75 and look at the first five steps as they're written in their short form. Okay, and uh, what I what I do is just kind of go through each one. Step one: We admit it we're powerless over alcohol; that our lives have become unmanageable. And I take a look at that step and I review the work that I've done with that step. You know, and I and I take a look at the the mental obsession and the physical craving and the symptoms of the spiritual malady found on page 52. And I review those things and I ask myself if I've omitted anything. And I look at the second step, second step, and I see if I have any current agnosticisms around the second step or anything that's going to uh, uh, keep me prejudiced from believing in the God of my understanding. Mm -hmm. And I check my willingness on that. And I look at my third, third step decision, and I see if, uh, if that was really solid when I made it. Yeah. And I really look at the fact that that decision that I made was that I decided God is going to be the director and I'm his actor, and that he's the principal and I'm his agent, and that he's the father and I'm his kid. And I think about my inventory, which I just uh, just shared in, in the fifth step, and I think about four and five together, and I think if I've omitted anything, then I don't want, whether in my writing or when I shared it with my sponsor or spiritual advisor. And I see if I omitted anything. And if I did, I just write it down and, and share it after, immediately, as, as soon as I can get a hold of my sponsor. Okay. So uh, let's just go through the, uh, the review questions that they give us. And the first one is, is our work solid so far? Okay. And basically we cover that when we go through the first five steps. And it says, are the stones properly in place? Okay. If we haven't been following Bill's example of that arch, we're not really going to know what that means. Okay. But there's handouts on the back table entitled The Wonderfully Effective Spiritual Structure. And we found out that the foundation of that arch is step one. The cornerstone is step two. That's willingness to believe. And then the keystone is the stone all the way up the top, and that's our third step decision which is going to hold all the rest of the stones in the place. Okay, so that's what they mean. Our stones, the three, the five stones that we have so far, are they in place? It says, have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we skimped on our willingness with step one? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? Have I tried to, uh, you know, if there's three sides to our triangle, have I tried to work this program of recovery, but skimped on the fellowship a little bit? Yeah. Tells us in the chapter there is a solution that uh, that this fellowship is only one part. The common peril is only one part of this thing that binds us together. So I take a look at that. And it says, if we can answer these questions to our satisfaction, we then look at step six. Are we all able to answer these questions to our own satisfaction? 
for the people that completed the fourth and fifth step. Great. Okay, if something else came up during the review, that's great too. Just write it down and share it with your sponsor immediately. Let's move on to step six, like the book suggests we do. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. The six step directions are on the top of page 76 in the first paragraph. And they simply state, we, we have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have viewed which we have omitted are objectionable. Can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Don't read more into steps six and seven than the early members of our fellowship wanted us to. They kept it really simple. Are you willing and ready to have God remove your character defects that you found in steps four and five? Are you ready to ask God to remove your selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear, and your inconsiderateness, and any other defects that you may have come up with when you took your fifth step? If so, the book tells us to say the seventh step prayer. So what I'm going to do is read the prayer out loud, and then for those of you who are ready to move forward, we'll say the prayer together. Okay. Uh, the prayer is in the next paragraph. It says, when ready, we say something like this. My Creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. And it says we have then completed step seven. So in the original writing of step seven, uh, when the step, when Bill first wrote the steps, uh, a couple of them, he, he added uh, a couple different words, and then upon uh, review of the early members, they they changed them just a little bit, and this was one of those steps uh, that that happened to. And the original writing of the seventh step said, humbly on our knees, asked him to remove our shortcomings. So uh, when I work with people, we like to say this prayer on our knees. And, uh, and I know of many people that do it this way. So uh, before we say this prayer together, let's just kind of take a little moment of quiet time. Yeah, questions first up. Be willing to have these steps removed, uh, these defects removed, and then write into step seven and, and, and say the seven-step prayer, and that's six and seven. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and this is something we can do on a daily basis because as we find out as we find out in steps 10 and 11 all right basically we do these two steps on a daily basis through step six and seven because these defects will crop up there's no doubt about that they will crop up and what this step asks me to do is humbly ask god to remove them Again and again and again. Sure, if need be. Because I've been tripping on step six for, for mm -hmm. four years. Are you willing that he remove these defects? Yeah. Then you've completed step six. Mm -hmm. you know, if you're ready and willing, that's all the step says. Mm -hmm. And all the seventh step asks us to do is to ask him 
There's no step seven and a half that says, okay, now God remove them. Are we willing and ready? And have we asked them? Okay, let's get quiet for a second and we'll say the prayer together. It's on the middle of page 76. Okay. My Creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Well, according to the big book, we have completed step seven. Congratulations. Now it's time to clear away the wreckage of our past. We do this by making amends or restitution. Step 8 says, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. God bless you. At this point in our work, we will need to refer back to our four-step inventories. From the list of names on our inventories, we are able to compile our eight-step list. We examine our list for the people we have harmed by our conduct and whom, and whom we owe amends. On page 76, in the third paragraph, the book says, Now we need more action, without which we find that faith without works is dead. Let's look at steps eight and nine. We have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory. We subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. And that was step four and five, right? Now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris which has accumulated out of our effort to live life on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. Again, we pray for the willingness. Remember it was agreed at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. Okay. If we see in the book, we see that that's italicized. So you think they really meant that when they wrote, we, we agreed at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. And we agreed that. So we make a separate list of names even though they've already, even though they're already listed in our inventories. By having separate lists of names, we're able to see more clearly those people we will have to go to to make our amends. Okay, on pages 17 through 21 of our guide booklet, there is space provided to list the names of those we owe an amend to under each category of amends. Okay. In the ninth step of the big book, gives us examples of five different kinds of amends. Those five different examples are those we hate and resent, those we owe money to, incidences, incidents of criminal offense, domestic trouble, and finally some wrongs that we can never fully right. On each page of the guide, there are guiding principles listed that the big book gives us for each type of amend. 
You also notice in the guide that next to the blank spaces provided for us to list the person whom we owe an amend, uh, there is a space that wants us to put a plus or a minus. We put a plus if we're willing to make the amend and a minus if we're not yet willing. Some people will be willing to go to right away. With others, we'll have to pray for the willingness to do this. The book suggests we pray for the willingness until it comes. In the meantime, we can begin to make those amends that we are already willing to do. We have found when we begin the restitution process in, conjunct in conjunction with praying for the willingness, we, commen we commence with the seemingly more difficult reparations. We start to cross off the names we never thought we'd be willing to face. We become willing when we commence to get results from making the amends. So let's move on to steps nine. Step nine. Step nine, make direct amends to such people wherever possible. Notice here it doesn't say whenever possible, like sometimes we hear wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Okay. On the fourth paragraph of page 76, the big book provides us with some insight on how to approach some of those whom we owe amends. Basically, what we're going to do is cover, since the ninth step is such an important part uh, for us to have a spiritual awakening, we're going to read most of the text for this step. Okay. So on the last paragraph of page 76, it says, probably there are still some misgivings. As we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel diffident about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. Let us be reassured that some people we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. We might prejudice them. At the moment, we are trying to put our lives in order. But this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose Okay. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. Right. I used to think that my real purpose was to stop drinking. But it says here, once we're on the spiritual path, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. In the last sentence of this paragraph, the big book clearly states our purpose for living. It tells us why we are here to serve God and our fellows. The book continues by asking us to let our actions, rather than our words, demonstrate to others that we have changed. Starting with line four, the big book states, it is seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we have gone religious. In the prize ring, that would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? We may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message, but our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. He is going to be more impressed in a demonstration, demonstration of goodwill than our talk of spiritual discoveries. How's that thing go? My actions speak louder than my words. So? Well, that's that's uh, uh, making a man by showing someone instead of by telling someone. Both. 
when we make the initial approach, usually it's verbally. But in order for me not to make that same mistake again and then have to repeatedly make amends to this person over and over, my actions have to change. Right. What do we hear in the rooms? Amends is change. Do you better work for uh, back to school up for X amount of years on the job? Sure. So on the sure. Show. I mean, I made an amend to my board. Right. Now I, I go to work every day. And, okay. Yeah, now comes the work of carrying out the amend. Right. Now, if, if I was the receiver of that amend, in some cases, uh, the boss may say, well, that's great. You know, that's great. You apologize for screwing up all, all these years. But let's see some action. You know, the actions really uh, are what's going to produce the results. Okay. We don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. When it will serve any good purpose, we're willing to announce our convincing our convictions with tact and common sense. One of the most difficult amends to make is to someone we genuinely, genuinely don't like, but whether we like them or not, we must proceed. The text continues. The question of how to approach the man we hate it will arise. It may be he has done us more harm than we have done him, and though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, and hopefully in our fourth step we've done that. We are still not too keen about admitting our faults. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. It is harder to go to an enemy than it is a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. We go to him. Now, this is how, how we go to these people that we make amends to. This is the attitude that we have. And what I like to do is I take a little quiet time. You know, if I'm driving to see someone, I sit in my car before I go into the office or, or knock on the door or what have you. You know, and I ask God for guidance and direction. And this is the attitude we try to take. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. In the next paragraph, the big book even provides us with instructions on what to say and what not to say says, under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Simply tell him that we will never get over our drinking until we have done our utmost to straighten out the past. Remember this now. We are there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so. Never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. That was really important for me because... I'm a guy that likes justification, okay? Because you did this to me, column two of my four-step inventory, I did this to you, and I'm really sorry for that. You know, no, book didn't say that. We stay away from his faults. We stick to our own. If our manner, again, this is my attitude, if our manner is calm, frank, and open, we'll be gratified with the results. In nine cases out of ten, the unexpected happens. Sometimes the man we're calling upon admits his own fault. So feuds of your standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. Our former enemies sometimes, sometimes praise what we are doing and wish us well. Occasionally they will offer assistance. 
It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We have made our demonstration, we have made our demonstration, done our part. It is water over the dam. The big book explains what to do about our debts. We may not like the sacrifice required to make good on our bills, but sacrifice we must. This process forces us to rely on God for guidance, which takes us out of self-will and into God's will. Under God's direction, we find it much easier to make restitution than we ever thought possible. So in the middle of page 78, I think the book here makes the, uh, the biggest under, understatement of the whole book. It says most alcoholics owe money. <laughs> we do not dodge our creditors. Telling them what we're trying to do, we make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyway, whether we think so or not. Nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory it may cause financial harm. Approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Arranging the best deal we can, we let these people know we are sorry. Our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go, for we're for we are liable to drink if we are afraid to face them. Okay, it says arranging the best deal we can. My alcoholic ego, if I owe you a thousand dollars, my ego wants me to be able to save up that thousand dollars, cut you a check for the grand and say, Here you go, and a wonderful, here's your money. You know? But something Alcoholics Anonymous came up with, or at least uh, the fellowship did, is the uh the payment plan, you know. And it says, we arrange the best deal we can. If I owe this guy a thousand dollars, and if what I can afford to give him is five dollars a week, for however long, for however many weeks it takes me to pay off that thousand dollars, you know, then that's the best deal we can arrange. The important thing is that he agrees to it. And if he agrees to it, we do that. We send him a sum of money, and we do that on a continuous basis until that amends is made. Okay? The next paragraph deals with criminal offenses. It says, perhaps we have committed a criminal offense which might land us in jail if it were known to the authorities. We may be short in our accounts and un unable to make good. We have already admitted this in confidence to another person, but we are sure we would be imprisoned or lose our job if it were known. Maybe it is only a petty offense, such as padding the expense account. Most of us have done this, that sort of thing. Maybe we are divorced and have remarried, but haven't kept up our alimony to, num to number one. She is in indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a, forming, that's a common form of trouble, too. Next, the book instructs us to ask God for guidance. This reliance upon God is essential if we are to outgrow the fears that have separated us from our Creator. It says, although these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some general principles which we find guiding. Reminding ourselves that we have decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. There they go again with any lengths. We ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences are. Okay, that kind of uh, that kind of dispels 
the myth of uh, except when to do so would injure them or others, and I'm others. According to this book, I am not others. Right. It says, no matter what my personal consequences may be, we may lose our position and reputation or face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. Next, next is an example of how to perceive when other people could be affected. Here, extreme caution needs to be taken. It says, usually, however, other people are involved. Therefore, we are not to be the hasty or foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. A man we know had remarried. Because of resentment and drinking, he had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She went to court and got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life, had secured a position, and was getting his head above water. It would have been impressive heroics if he had jumped up to the judge and said, Here I am. We thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary, but if he were in jail, he could provide nothing for either family. We suggest that he write his first wife admitting his fault and asking forgiveness. He made the approach. He did and also sent a small amount of money. He told her what he would try to do in the future. He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. Of course, she did not, and the whole situation has long since been adjusted. The big book suggests we ask others to help, ask others for help before we make some of our more difficult amends. We need direction, preferably from someone who understands the inventory and restitution process. We must make sure we do not create further harm as we clean up our side of the street. On the top of page 80, the book says, before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. Okay, again, I'm page 80, first paragraph, it says, before taking drastic action which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. If we have obtained permission, have consulted with others, ask God to help, and the drastic step is indicated, we must not shrink. Next is the story of a man that had to get consent from his family and business partner before proceeding. It says, this brings to mind a story about one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. He felt that he had done a wrong he could never possibly make right. If he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away his means of livelihood. What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? How could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? After consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. He saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands, or he would 
soon start drinking again, and all would be lost anyhow. He attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. His action, his action met widespread approval, and today he is one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. Now the next page or so deals with domestic troubles. Starting with the second line from the bottom of page 80, the book says, Chances are that we have domestic troubles. Perhaps we're mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. I'm sure that's never happened to any of the guys here. Uh, we doubt if in this respect alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, or uncommunicative. How could she be anything else? The husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. He commences to look around the nightclubs or their equivalent for something besides liquor. Perhaps he is having a secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. In fairness, we must say that she may understand, but what are we going to do about a thing like that? A man so involved often fears very, feels very remorseful at times, especially if he is married to a loyal, a loyal and courageous girl who has literally gone through hell for him. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we are sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that we have been wild, <laughs> should we tell her in detail? Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She must insist, she may insist on knowing all the particulars. She will want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. We are sorry for what we have done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Though there may be justifiable exceptions, and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we may off, uh, we have often found this the best course to take. You know, so the book even says, in some cases, there are no ironclad directions. You know, everyone's case is a little bit different. The important thing is that we seek guidance from God and from other people that are on the spiritual path. Our design for living is not a one-way street. It is good for the wife as for the husband. If we can forget, so can she. And flip-flop that too, because if she can forget, so can he. It is better, however, that one does not needlessly name a person upon whom she can vent jealousy. In the first paragraph of page 82, we're yet again instructed to ask God for guidance as we make good on our past misdeeds. So, so can, can you see here, when we make our amends, how we're really trusting and relying upon God here? We don't want to self-will our amends. Because if we self-will our amends, we're just going to have a, no, a whole nother list of amends again. Okay. 
says in that paragraph, perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. It may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it, having the other having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. Keep it always in sight that we are dealing with that most terrible human emotion, jealousy. The generalship may be may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk face to face combat. This is an example of how we must be tactful and considerate of others as we make our amends. Nobody said it would be easy, it just has to be done. Remember to always use God as your constant guide. By following his direction, the most difficult situations can have a positive outcome. In the next several paragraphs, the big book states quite emphatically that stopping drinking is only a beginning. We must take additional action if we are to recover from alcoholism. It says on page 82, in paragraphs 2 and 3, if we have no such complication, and they're talking about the home, there's plenty, uh, and they're talking about the uh, preceding type of amends they just gave us directions for, there's plenty we should do in the home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is to keep sober. Certainly he must keep sober, for there will be no home if he doesn't. But he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents, whom for years he has so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the practice mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had, th had this not been so, many of us would have no homes today, would perhaps be dead. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken, sweet relationships are dead, affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept, have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. He is like the farmer who came up out of his cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife he remarked, Don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? Not drinking is not enough. The big book makes that very clear. The reconstruction that will need to take place in most homes may at times seem difficult, but once again we rely heavily on prayer and guidance from our Creator. On the top of page 83, the book says, yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. We must take the lead. A, remor a remorseful mumbling that we are sorry won't fill the bill at all. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it, being very careful not to criticize them. Again, we stick to our own faults. <coughs> Their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning, morning in meditation that our Creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. You know? In our morning meditation, our 11th step, that's an ex excellent prayer, especially when we're going through uh, amends. The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. 
Unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought not to urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time. Our behavior, our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. So here we're told that in order to achieve the vital psychic change, we have to live the AA program. So we don't just take the steps, we practice these principles on a daily basis. Next week we'll be providing the information for this way of life and continued growth through the process of steps 10, 11, and 12. The next paragraph on page 83 gives us directions on what to do if we can't make amends to someone face to face. It says there may be some wrongs we can never fully right. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would right them if we could. Again, willingness is a key factor here. Some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter. Right. Now, I've heard uh, comments made about letter writing. And the book does say if we can't see the person, we write, us an, we write them an honest letter. And some people, including myself at first, have taken this that I can make, rather than do a face-to-face -face amend, I can write a letter. So when I ask my sponsor about that, when, when I directly harm the person, you know, I said, can I write a letter to this person? And he asked me, well, did you harm that person via a letter? And I said, no. So he said, do it face-to-face. -face. So if possible, we try to do these things face-to-face. Okay, so uh, it continues with, and there may be valid reason for postponement in some other cases, but we don't delay if it can be avoided. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our own feet. We don't crawl before anyone. The big book concludes the ninth step with another list of results. Starting at the bottom of page 83, it tells us precisely what is going to happen once we commence to clear away the wreckage of our past. It describes these results as promises. And of course, we know these are not the first set of promises we've seen in our book. We've seen promises uh, starting with the very title page of this book. Thousands of men and women who have recovered from the seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So keep in mind when you go to your meetings that when, when they read the ninth step promises that these are the promises that occur in the ninth step. But there are many, many promises that we get before we get to the ninth step. Okay? So it says, if we're painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we're halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret, regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people 
and of economic insecurity will leave us. It says, fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We had a conversation before the meeting started that had something to do with that. It doesn't say that uh, economic insecurity will leave us, that all our money problems will be resolved. No, it just says the fear. Why? Because we found out in the fourth step how to, how to remove fear. We ask God. We ask God to remove our fears and direct our attention toward what he would have us be. So if we're on the basis of trusting and relying upon God, why would we have any fear? Okay, it says, we intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. What a great message of hope. It is almost beyond comprehension that all of these wonderful events will occur if we just make our amends to those whom we've harmed. But they will happen. That's a guarantee. Lastly, I'd like to give you an example of someone who could not stay sober until he became willing to complete his amends. This man is our Akron, Ohio co-founder, Dr. Bob. He accomplished making all his amends in one day. Let's turn to page 155. Okay. Now, if uh, we know anything about this book in our history, uh, Dr. Bob was not able to stay sober until he made his ninth step amends. As a matter of fact, uh, Dr. Bob drank again after uh, he and Bill Wilson met each other. Bill stayed in Akron, God bless you. Bill stayed in Akron, and he stayed in their home. And uh, Dr. Bob went, went on a business trip to, uh, to uh, Atlantic City, uh, right here in New Jersey, and uh, he came home drunk. And it was because he was never willing to, to make his amends. So it says on page 155, when our friend related his experience, the man agreed that no amount of willpower he might muster could stop his drinking for long. We're right in the middle of the page. Spiritual experience, he conceded, was absolutely necessary, but the price seemed high upon the basis suggested. He told how he lived in constant worry about those who might find out about his alcoholism. He had, of course, the familiar alcoholic obsession that few knew of his drinking. Why, he urged, should he lose the remainder of his business, only to bring still more suffering to his family by foolishly admitting his plight to people from whom he made his livelihood. He would do anything, he said, but that. Being intrigued, however, he invited our friend in his home. And of course, that's Bill. Sometime later, and just as he thought he was getting control of his liquor situation, he went on a roaring bender. For him, this was the spree that ended all sprees. He saw that he would have to face his problems squarely, that God might give him mastery. One morning, he took the bull by the horns and set out to tell those he feared what his trouble had been. 
he found himself surprisingly well received and learned that many knew of his drinking. Stepping into his car, he made the rounds of people he had hurt. He trembled as he went about, for this might mean ruin, particularly to a person in his line of business. At midnight, he came home exhausted, but very happy. He has not had a drink since. As we shall see, he now means a great deal to his community. And the major liabilities of 30 years of hard drinking have been repaired in four. So this concludes our discussion of step nine. For the newcomers or the people taking the steps with us, your assignment for the next week is to start your amends list. Okay. If you are not sure how to proceed with a specific amend, ask your sponsor or spiritual advisor. And I would suggest stick very close to your sponsor or spiritual advisor. Next, next week, we'll uh, take steps 10, 11, and 12. We wish you the very best as you leave here to make your amends. Miracles are about to occur, and we're looking forward to hearing about some of them next week. Are there any questions? Okay, great. And uh, we'll close in the usual manner. And thanks again, and God bless. We'll see you next week. Thank <laughs> you.